What did your parents do when you were growing up to remind you that they were in charge? Just think about that for a second. What did your parents do to remind you who's in charge? Did they ground you? Send you to your room? Just say, go sit in there for a little while? Anybody's parents do that? Just ground you? Chris is doing like this. He knows it's coming. He knows what he used to get. (laughs) Uh, Or maybe it was just a look that they gave you. And maybe the look accompanied other things, but that look meant you either stop now or I'm going to make you stop in just a few minutes. Uh, Maybe it was that look that you got, and you knew when you got that look, it was time to shut it down. Mom and dad, whoever it was giving you the look, they meant business. I was more afraid of my mom, okay? Uh, Or maybe you got a spanking. It was a spanking that you got. Melinda's raising her hand. Spanking. (laughs) Johnny called it a whooping. Maybe yours was a beating, depending on what you did. A switch. Now, my grandmother... Now, you might not believe this, but I never got in trouble at my grandmother's house. We were really close, okay? But my cousins got in trouble all the time. And she would call them in there and say, go outside and pick you a switch, and then I'm going to spank you with it. And that was pretty rough. They never came back with a real big switch or anything, or a real sharp one. They always came back with something they thought wasn't going to be too bad. Well, I want to take you back to when I was a kid. My mom tells this story, and it was early in the morning, and even today, mornings are not my, my, my best times, okay? Uh, those of you who go to camp probably wouldn't believe that because mornings are my favorite time at camp, but the rest of the year, I hate early mornings, and I still act kind of crazy in the mornings, and uh, my mom tells this story. Uh, I must have been in about kindergarten or first grade, somewhere around there. And apparently I was being a handful because my dad had had it with me. And he, this was, Johnny, this wasn't a whooping, this was a beating, okay? I was getting a beating. And imagine me getting a beating. I can't even hardly imagine it, but I did. I was getting a beating. And my sister just began to scream and sob and she was just beside herself because she just knew my dad was hurting me. And she cried and she cried and she yelled, Dad, don't hurt Alex! Don't hurt Alex! And she cried and finally he, I guess he felt like he got his point across because he stopped. And we carried on our way. Of course, my sister's still sobbing and when we got in the car just thinking I was hurt. And... I'm just fine. I'm not crying anything. You know, I'm still a tough guy today. So, uh, I was a tough guy back then, I guess. And I'm cr- my sister, though, she's just sobbing still, upset, you know, thinking I'm hurt. And finally I said, Jasmine, it's okay. He just hit my hand. <laughs> and uh, apparently I had pulled off a great move of putting the old hand behind my back and blocking the, the spanking that I got. And so it wasn't so bad to me, but my sister thought it was really awful. But what is it that your parents did that reminded you that they were in charge? Because even though that spanking might not have hurt me too bad, it reminded me that dad was in charge. Or other times, mom 
was in charge, depending on who was giving me the spanking. But no matter where you're at, if you're in a restaurant or wherever you are, you can usually, after a little while, you can kind of figure out the way everybody's acting, you can figure out pretty quick who the man in charge is. Uh, Based on the way people interact with each other, uh, based on just the way that person is acting, you can figure out who the man in charge is. And there are some ways that we can tell that Christ is sovereign over our world. That he is in charge here. And tonight, we're going to be in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, mainly in verses 15 through 20. And this morning, our youth group uh, kicked off a new study in the book of Colossians. Uh, I'm planning on stretching it out the whole quarter in Colossians, but we'll see how long it lasts. Uh, usually when we start studying uh, a book like that uh, and we're going verse by verse and kind of digging in a little bit, we usually don't get as far as I think we're going to get each week. Uh, Hopefully that means good discussion is happening. Uh, But tonight we're going to pick up kind of where we left off this morning with the youth group and start in Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20. To me in this book, we get a good idea of God and especially a good idea of Christ being sovereign. And it's kind of funny because I was really, I wasn't going to try to use this for a sermon, but the more I read over these scriptures preparing for Bible class, I just thought it fit so perfectly with our word this week. And sometimes that's just the way it falls and you just got to, got to roll with it. And 15 through 20 especially focuses a lot on Christ and His sovereignty over our world. And though this book was written uh, in response to what Paul had been hearing about the church in Colossae. And he was hearing these different things. He heard some incredible things. If you look back up into verses 4, 5, and all the way through 8, you'll see some of the amazing things that Paul was hearing about the people, about the Colossians. And they were great people. One of my favorite verses of the Bible, verse 4, when he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, I love the fact that he had been hearing about their faith, that he had been hearing positive things about the way they were living towards Christ. I love that scripture. And it's a good reminder to me that I should live in a way that other people can see my faith and that they will go and, and talk about if they ever talk about me, that it'll be in relation to my faith. And those verses are a great reminder, and I encourage you, if you ever have some time, to go back and read, really, this whole book. But those verses especially are are pretty great. And Paul is there, he's hearing these incredible things from a man named Epaphras. If you look in verse 7, it talks about this man Epaphras. Epaphras is one of the people who helped start the church in Colossae. He was one of the founding members of that congregation, I guess, is a good way to put it. And he was there reporting back to Paul and telling him of these great things about the people. And throughout the book, we learn that Epaphras also talked to Paul about some concerns that he had with these people. Some concerns about some of the culture cultural 
pressures that were coming up in their life. And I believe we can relate to that as Epaphras is talking to Paul about some of the cultural temptations that they were going to try to fight against. And he talked to, Epaphras was bringing this back to Paul, and this book is kind of a response to what Epaphras was telling Paul. And this whole book addresses those temptations and also reminds them why Christ should be the focus of their life. That these temptations cannot overtake them, that Christ has to be the focus. And right in the first chapter of this book, Paul takes some time to write this sort of a poem in the middle of chapter 1. And that's where we're going to be tonight. And in this poem, it's, it's completely about Christ. The poem is focused around Christ. It's all about Him. And it kind of sets up the rest of the book. And in the rest of the book, it often refers back to these verses. Uh, so if you read through the rest of the book, you may see some references to this. Sorry. Uh, you may see some references to those verses. And it's, it's pretty awesome to me because it sets up, it's kind of like a sermon. It sets up, has an intro, and kind of gives you a summary. And then throughout it, it kind of breaks down those parts as it goes through. And I want to start out looking at verses 15 through 20. And especially uh, verse, verse 15 we'll focus on in just a minute. But together, let's just start out by reading those verses. So if you would, get your Bible out. And make sure you're ready. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Now look back at verse 15. That's where I want to focus for just a few minutes. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In Christ, the full person of God is shown within a human. Think about that. The full person of God, the sovereign God, is seen in a human. Now, I think we often forget just how incredible this is. This is a really incredible thing that the person of God is in a human. Have you ever been face-to-face with someone that your whole life you looked up to? Maybe you've never met them, and then you're face-to-face with them. Maybe it's a hero of yours that you're thinking about. Uh, it could be an athlete that as a child was your, was your hero. Or maybe it's a celebrity that's just always been your favorite, and then maybe for the first time, you're face-to-face with that person. Uh, me and Allison went to an Auburn game two years ago, and my childhood hero, Cadillac Williams, was there. And he was signing autographs in a tent. 
And I was excited, of course, to, to meet him. And to this day, Allison makes fun of the way I talk to this guy, like he was my best friend or something. And I kind of froze up because I was so, and guys, this ain't like I was 10 years old. This was like two years ago. It wasn't two years ago. I don't even know. I think it was 2014, so three years ago. And I got up there to talk to him, and we waited in this long line. And I got up there, and I was kind of, you know, antsy, kind of popping around like this. You know, I'm full of energy, so I was just kind of popping. And I said, hey, man, what you been up to? And, and he looked at me, and he was just kind of like, not much, man. And I was like, well, how you doing? And like I was going to carry on this conversation. You can tell the awkwardness of this conversation. And uh, then I was like, well, we're glad you're back in Auburn. It's good to see you, man. And he's just like, good to see you too. And it was really awkward. And of course, Allison was having more fun probably. I mean, I was having a great time uh, meeting this meeting this guy. Uh, but Allison was really having a good time just laughing at me, trying to talk to this childhood hero. And I was face-to-face with somebody. I just kind of froze up. And maybe you've had those experiences too, where you are face-to-face with someone, and it just freezes you up. You don't know how to, how to react. Imagine being face-to-face with Jesus. Jesus Christ in human form, face-to-face with Him. How incredible that must have been. If I was having trouble talking to Cadillac Williams... I can't imagine what it would be like to try to talk to Jesus Christ. And Jesus was in human form. And it's crazy that that these people had that in Jesus at one point for 30 years, uh, for 33 years, and some of them not even knowing what they had in Him. But they had that. They had Jesus in human form. Wow. Not only that, but but he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, when you read that verse, in verse 15, that he is the firstborn of all creation, this term is referring to the Old Testament. And the status where the people who were firstborn sons especially, they were over the entire household. And this reference here, that's placed here, is a reminder to us that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. That He is over all people. Not that He's just over His household. He easily could have put it there. Jesus was the firstborn of His household. But instead, He writes, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Reminding us that Christ has royalty over everything. Or to use our word of the week, Christ has sovereignty over all of us. Over everything. Over all people. Now as we move on into verse 16, we learn even more about Christ. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him, and for Him. In Christ, all things were created. So Paul stops here to remind us, not only, verse 15, was He human form, but Christ was in human form, 
but yet he had the power of God. He had the full power of God. He played a vital part in creating our universe. He played a vital part in creating everything that was made. The things you see, the things you don't see. Think of some of the people that Paul was writing to. They knew Christ. Maybe they knew of Him. Maybe they didn't exactly meet Him, but they heard about Him. They knew that He was a man. They weren't like us today who are reading the Bible to learn about Him. They, they had heard from people who met Him, or they met Him themselves. if They were old enough, possibly. And think of them thinking about Jesus, this human, just like you and I. And as they speak to Him, as Paul's speaking to them, he's telling them, yeah, remember this human, Christ? Well, He was the firstborn of all creation. And not only that, but He created everything. In Him, all things were created. Just imagine what that must have been like for them. The most powerful things they could think of. He names them off. Rulers, thrones, dominions, authorities. All of those things were created through Christ. And he almost diminishes the things that they look up to by saying those things were created through Him. And as a created being, myself, I have to stop in this moment and, and just think about how awesome it is what this writer is saying, what Paul is saying to these people that I was created for Him. So he takes... He takes their, the things they look up to, thrones, dominions, authorities, and he says, not only are they powerless, but they were created for Christ. And it's a reminder to me that those powerful beings are just like, my, like I am. That I also was created for Christ. You were created for Christ. Look at verse 17. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Look at that phrase, all things hold together. Therefore, if we are in Him as, as people of Christ, if we are people of Christ in Him, then He holds our life together. Now, at times... In this life, as long as we're on this earth, we're going to go through moments where we feel very broken. Maybe we feel very incomplete or lonely, whatever the word is. But we're going to go through moments where sin takes a toll on us. And that it really just breaks us in two. And we would call ourselves broken people. In fact, at most times in our life, we could probably think of some reason to say that we are broken people and we see the damage that sin does in our country as it breaks things apart we see the damage of sin in our families when we see people in our families who are broken or torn apart by sin we see the damage of sin in our own lives but because christ is sovereign because christ is overall and he's in control and as long as we are in Him, 
then our life will be held together by Him. And that's an amazing thing that we learn in Colossians chapter 1. We can be comforted knowing that no matter how broken our lives are, or no matter how broken someone else's life is, if we can bring them Jesus, or if we can bring Jesus more into our life, that He will hold our life together. And that's awesome. Now I want to keep going. Let's look at verses 18 through 20. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Christ is head over the church. Everything we do as a church family should point back to Him. Everything we do, no matter what it is, as a church family, if we, if we do something, it should point back to Christ in some kind of way. Whether that's by our fellowship and the way we act, the love we show with each other, or whether that's through our study of His Word, learning more about Him, or whether it's through our service to our community. Whatever it is, everything we do as a church family should point back to Christ. And we must make a change in our personal lives, if not only as a church body, if we don't put, point back to Christ, but if your personal life doesn't point back to Christ, then we also must make a change. Because as Christians, if we bear the name of Christians, and we bear the name of Christ by calling ourselves Christians, then the way we live, the way we act in our life should point people back to Christ. Nothing we do matters if Christ is not a part of it. Nothing. You can make all the money in the world, you can have all the fun you want, but if Christ is not a part of everything you do, then it doesn't matter. None of it does. He has come to reconcile Himself. He has come to reconcile Himself with His people. And He's done that for us through the blood of His cross. If you look at verses 21-22, through 22, He keeps going. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. You who were once hostile in mind, who were alienated. Some strong language that Paul uses here. For some of us, I could replace that and say this. You who are alienated and hostile in mind. Maybe he's not speaking to a former person of you. Maybe he's speaking to you right now. You who are alienated and hostile in mind. This is important because you either are still alienated or you know someone who is alienated. That's why this is important. He's stopping to remind us that at one point you either were alienated from Christ or you are. If sin has ever been in your life, then at some point you have been separated from Christ. Or you know someone who is right now separated 
from Christ. And Paul is reminding the church at Colossae that if they allow the temptations of this world to take over them, they will be separated from Christ. They will be alienated from Christ. Because remember, he's responding to some struggles that these people are having that was told to him from Epaphras. And he's reminding them, look, if you let these temptations that are coming into your life, if you let them take over, you will be separated from Christ. I want to ask you now, who do you know that needs to hear this message? Who do you know that needs to hear this message? Who do you know that is alienated from Christ and needs to hear this message that if we allow the temptations of this world to overtake us, that we will be separated from Christ. We'll be alienated from Him. Or who do you know that you can see temptation overcoming them in their life and needs to know that it will cause them to become alienated from Christ? Or is this a message that you need to hear? That if you allow a temptation that you're really struggling with right now to take over your life, that it is going to alienate you from Christ. That's a scary way to think about what he's saying. This, these words are very strong. This message that we have all been alienated and stuck in our evil deeds at some point in our life. But listen what he says in verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So he stops and he says, look, I realize you've been alienated. You were once alienated and you've allowed these evil deeds to take over you, but Christ came and died for you. And despite His sovereignty over us, He chose to belittle Himself and become a human. Remember how amazing that was, what we talked about. A human. He became a human and gave His flesh so that we can be reconciled to Him. I hope this is a message that you are fully aware of. But if not, How can you, who are alienated from Christ, become blameless through the blood of Christ? Maybe you are alienated right now, and Christ is calling to you to reconcile yourself to Him. Paul ends with another encouraging word in verse 23, as he kind of wraps up this little section. Verse 23, If indeed you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He reminds us that if you stand firm in your faith, that if you can do something to become blameless, and in fact, you don't have to do a lot, really, you just have to become one with Christ. He reminds us that. That if you become one with Christ, that you have hope. That you have this special hope that's been given to you in a new creation and a new life alive in Christ. And He will present you Himself. Think about that. He Himself will present you as blameless. Tonight I want to remind you that if you feel weak or alone 
Your hope is in a risen Savior. Your hope is in a risen Savior. And if you've been baptized into His blood, just remember that you have hope that the world does not have. You have hope that the world does not have. So don't let the world beat you down. Because you have something that they don't. So no matter what they put in front of you as a temptation, just in the back of your head, remember, the sovereign Savior of the world died for me. And no temptation that anyone puts in front of me is worth losing that for. And if you have yet to become one with the sovereign Lord, the sovereign Christ, why don't you decide tonight? As we think about the hope that it offers, that if you are of the world, you don't have that hope that Christians have. But yet, because you're still here, you do have hope. Even you have hope that if you become one with Christ, that just like everyone else in this room, He's willing to reconcile with you. And He, no matter how long you've been living in sin, He will present you as blameless before God. That He will take you to the throne of God and present you as one who has hope, one who is without sin, one who is blameless. If you have a need tonight, please come forward as we stand and sing.